Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. All right, so thank you for tuning in and jumping to the bit. I'm Kyle Edwards, of course. And um, I must say, before I get started with this episode, that over the next few days, there are a couple of topics that I'm going to talk about that I'm very excited about, starting with this one. Uh, there will be new topics. So over the course of the 100 plus episodes I've done, these like three topics will be brand new and the covering subjects that I really, really, really want to talk about. And I think it'll be kind of fun for you guys as well. And I think you'll enjoy them. So hopefully you do. And then with that, if you're new here, you know, you'll kind of get the idea of what this podcast is all about. Though it's all about me uh, being like a hundred percent of a fan, giving you hundred percent of my opinion, and no matter if it's a popular opinion or whatever, just my honest opinion. So, starting with this episode, we're going to talk about the U.S. men's national team. Now, like I said before, don't think we've actually talked about them on this podcast yet, but I do think that it is about time that, you know, if you're not into soccer, I guess that's one thing, because if you're not into it, to try to get into it might be a little bit difficult, I don't know, but if you are somebody who's... I guess watched U.S. soccer over the years. Maybe you've gotten uh, used to seeing a certain type of uh, style of play with the U.S. team. Maybe you don't pay attention to them all the time because, you know, you recognize the struggles against better teams and all that. So basically what I'm saying is that I think with this a current pool of players there's serious reason for optimism that not necessarily like a World Cup win might be in the future um, but I do think that the U.S. can be more competitive on an international stage with this group that's all based off of them you know, continuing to, continuing to grow together um, with uh, Greg Beerhalter and I guess the powers that be of U.S. soccer being able to continue to replenish the pool of players with you know fresh faces, younger talent. 
homegrown talent and really build a successful homegrown system where you're constantly funneling in you know young talent that we can all you know watch grow before our eyes and really root for um now if you didn't see uh, I guess the last game against Mexico I will say that that uh, game against Mexico where they won 2 nothing was it was interesting in, in several ways one it represented the third time that the U.S. has beaten Mexico in this calendar year which I believe the stat was that hadn't been done in a while so they beat them what was it Gold Cup final the Nations League final and now World Cup qualifying Um, so winning the Gold Cup that's good U.S. has done that before so, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything too out of the ordinary there. But for this, like I said, current pool, it was their first trophy that they got to lift. And then they backed that up with the, Na- with the Nations League running through that tournament. And I think in the... Was the Gold Cup where they had kind of like a B team? They ended up winning that. Nations League, I think they had a, I guess they call it like a B plus squad where had some B players and then you had a couple of A players sprinkled in. They won that tournament. And now in World Cup qualifying, halfway through uh, this stage of qualifying, um, they're sitting at the top of the table. Now they are tied with uh, Mexico on points, but the U.S. is on top because of goal differential, and the goal differential is from the 2-0 win from the U.S. So, by sitting on top of the table, of course, the you know the thought is that they should qualify. Now, it's not a slam dunk, of course, because like I said, they're tied with Mexico, 14 points. You have Canada with 13 points. Canada is a, is a good team. They're led by uh, Tejan Buchanan, who is, you know, star player for the New England Revolution. But uh, he's really starting to make his name known with the Canadian team as he uh, creates a lot of chances for them. He scores goals for them. So, you know, he's, he's definitely a player to be aware of. And when you play against Canada, he, he's, he's a guy that you got to make sure you don't let, let him get loose because he's very speedy along the, the flanks. And because of that speed, he gets defenses out of whack. And then uh, Canada's able to capitalize on those and get goals uh, you got Panama they are fourth with 11 points I believe it's the top the top three that I'm going to qualify and then the 
fourth place team plays in a playoff. I believe that's how it goes. So you got Panama there. They get a little bit of a drop off with Costa Rica, Jamaica, Honduras. I mean, El Salvador at six points and Honduras at three. So you basically have your four team race the US, Mexico, Canada, and Panama. Um, so I guess in the grand scheme, what we're seeing is with the success of this group of, of players, it's kind of raising the level of the MLS. I mean, not not all these players play in the MLS, but a lot of them do. And this is something that I guess you could see was the dream when the MLS was first established that it was going to be a feeder system to the national team. And it has been since the, the inception of the MLS. It was just that getting the U.S. talent that could live up to, um, you know, being competitive against European nations, uh, South American nations, uh, Asian nations, and even some of the African nations as well. So, with the U.S. national team success, you're seeing the, the, I guess the prestige of the MLS internationally raise as well. Because for a while there, MLS was just a. Let's see how how I could put this, but I feel like it was kind of viewed as this little, you know, cute upstart league that, you know, wasn't really didn't really seem like it was serving its purpose for a little bit there. Um, it almost seemed like a detriment if U.S. teams were predominantly MLS talent. Uh, it kind of seemed like in order for the U.S. to do well, there had to be American-born players that were playing overseas somewhere. But unfortunately, in order for those players to become attractive enough to play overseas, usually they have to ball out in the MLS. Either that or, I guess, ball out nationally and then these teams see them and try to pick them up. So, uh, basically the last you know, face of the U.S. men's national team was Landon Donovan. Landon Donovan played in MLS. I believe he went over to the English Premier League to play for a little bit, but didn't really seem to have the, the success over there. Uh, basically the most successful U.S. guy in uh, Landon Donovan's age of U.S. soccer was Clint Dempsey because he went overseas to England and he played for I think he played most of his time with Tottenham I want to say and he held he more than held his own over there he became a goal scorer he, I mean, had had a few highlight plays and all that, so he was over there and he was actually standing out in the crowd. But it seemed like he was the only one. 
Uh, Landon Donovan was still much better as an MLS player than a European player. And then when you got that collective group together, it seemed like that U.S. team could only play one way where you had a uh, stellar goalkeeper in Tim Howard. If it wasn't Tim Howard, it was... I want to say it was Brad Guzan, or Guzan, how you pronounce it, was his backup. But either way, you felt comfortable with them. Uh, defensively, it was nobody, I guess, um, really that stood out. It was just as a collective group, they were pretty good. Midfield, it was basically Michael Bradley, get the ball to him, and see if he could put a through ball or a ball over the top get a guy on the run and then look to I guess get it on the foot of Donovan or Dempsey give them some space let them try to create and then get shots on goal problem with that was when they went up against the more skilled teams that way of play just didn't work and it seemed like if it did ever work it was like in spite of something uh, I know there was a few games I feel like I remember where like weather was involved that kind of leveled the playing field or team comes in makes you know one too many mistakes and then the US can get out counter attack that kind of you know style there and you know it it worked because I believe that group had a couple of uh, cycles of the World Cup where they didn't make it out of the group stage. But once they made it to, you know, from the group stage, you knew if they went up against uh, you know, Portugal or Spain or uh, Brazil or something like that, you, you kind of expected them to look outclassed and... Uh, and they would kind of just phase out pretty early in those tournaments. Then Olympic qualifying, there's no guarantee that they were going to qualify for that on a cycle-to-cycle uh, uh, basis. So, so the level of optimism back then it was kind of you know, tempered because. Unless you're just lying to yourself, you knew the collection of talent wasn't good enough to to um, win on a grand scheme uh, internationally. And once again, I'm not saying it was a bad thing because I think with that generation, really opened the door for this group that we currently have. Uh, because, like I said, Dempsey became a household name. Donovan was a household name. Uh, Tim Howard was another guy who played over in the EPL. And, and, you know, he did well. So, with their success, U.S. talent pool was seen as up and coming. Say all that to say, fast forward to today, and this group... You know, they play a different style. They, they play more of a... Um, 
I'll say maybe like opportunistic because they have guys who can take on uh, defenders one-on-one, make a play around them, and, and really get into some dangerous areas on the field. They have guys who are great in the air. So you whip into the box. You, know, you have a few guys who can do some damage if they get their head onto the, the ball. You also have a good mix of, uh, I guess, I guess we'll say veterans. Doesn't seem like they don't have, that they have anybody that's like too too old, but they have some guys who've been around the block a little bit, and um, I also think with that last group, there were there were certain players that were built up to be good that just never really panned out. Um. And the biggest one that comes to mind is Josie Altador. When Altador did play, you saw the talent that he had. Now, his style of play wasn't exactly the most exciting to watch because he was a... Um, he, he was basically a forward that you'd give it up to and he would hold his position, hold the ball, and allow others to get into the offensive attack. He could score goals. He would from time to time. But I think the biggest issue with him was he seemed to always be dealing with something. Some type of injury or uh, just whatever reason, he wasn't always on the, uh, the field. And you could easily see that a lot of national team fans were growing tired of it so like I said had a stagnant style of play you had uh, coaches that seemed to be uh, married to a lineup or two and that's what they went with but now with today and Greg Beerhalter, it seems like he's created a uh, well, not just him, but you know, him and the the association, I guess we'll call it, have created a pool of players where it seems like there's lots of competition. There are um, well, I'm trying to see what, what else I'm trying to say here, but um, youth movement, yes. So a lot of competition and. It seems like Beerhalter is more willing to give these young players a shot at trying to make a name for themselves. One thing I really couldn't understand with, you know, past uh, I guess managers or coaches, you'd call them, whether it was uh, Bob Bradley or uh, Bruce Arena, Jurgen Klinsmann. Although Klinsmann, I will give credit to because he. He really started the whole um, American born overseas, convinced them to come over here, play for the national team and all that. So you started seeing a influx of European style of play or whatever in the U.S. game. But then, you know, he overstayed his welcome and the soccer federation 
you know, got rid of him, went to Bruce Arena, who at the time seemed like the right guy to get. With Bruce Arena, it seemed like he was more uh, towards the side of the veterans on the team. And you're constantly seeing lineups out there with uh, Altador of Healthy, if not usually a uh, Zardis or something up top. Then you, you would see um, Dempsey. Like I think Beasley was still on, on the team then. Uh, Bradley, uh, Beckerman, you know, guys like that uh, defensively. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. How powerful is Cox Internet? So powerful that one day, your daughter will be able to simulate a soccer match against some of the world's best players right from your backyard. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Internet delivered through Cox's hybrid fiber coax network. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions apply. I can't remember any of the defensemen. I guess like John Brooks, stuff like that. And like I said, it was fine because off of the the back of you know Klinsman kind of flaming out, Bruce Arena did bring some stability and seemed like they were on the good the upward trend, I'll say. But then after a while, Bruce Arena kind of flamed out. And it just seemed like the U.S. was stuck, middling around in uh, the average space internationally. So, you know, then they went looking for a new coach. Beer Halter emerged. And he, he had some struggles early on. But like I said, from... I guess Klinsman, the end of Klinsman's reign to now, I really feel like there's reasons to be optimistic. So looking at face of U.S. soccer then, Landon Donovan, now is easily uh, Christian Pulisic. And just looking at the two of them, I, I think Pulisic is more talented than Donovan. Once again, not saying Donovan wasn't a good player, but I think Pulisic can do more than Donovan can. Now, whether or not he has the career that Donovan had, that's up to him. And, you know, how healthy he stays, all that. Um, as well as the other players around him being able to play off of him. And... Um, like I said, it's not just Pulisic because you have Weston McKinney who uh, was a guy that I really like watching play because he has a little bit of an edge to him and I like that. 
but it was very uh, skilled. It's quick. And it just seems to have a nose for the ball when it's in the air or in the box. So, uh, he's definitely a welcome sign of the team. Uh, you have a guy like DeAndre Yedlin, who, like Polistic, is a guy who plays, who played over in Europe. He was with uh, Newcastle, I believe. Uh, Polistic was Chelsea. Um, even in uh, goal, you have Zach Steffen, but you have a very capable number two in Matt Turner. And we even saw that with the qualifying. Because there was a stretch of games where Stefan wasn't available and they went with Matt Turner. Matt Turner played really well. Now that Stefan is back, it seems like he's raised his game as well. Because I'm sure he noticed what Matt Turner was doing. And um, therein lies that competition I'm talking about. Where it's starting to raise the game of some of these players. Um... You have like a Callum Acosta who's been around for a little bit now, but he's still pretty young, I believe. And uh, he's a guy who plays a set role. He's he's kind of kind of this version's Michael Bradley as a guy who's dependent on to you know, work the midfield, get your through ball, ball over the top, get it into a position where either Pulisic can get it onto his to his foot and make a play or onto somebody else who can get into the box for Pulisic to go ahead and make a play. Um, maybe with that, you have younger guys like uh, Timothy Way, um, with Gio Reyna, who's come on, shown really well, so when they start getting a little bit better and are is more ready for a regular role with the team, you have confidence there as well. And um, like after the Mexico game, you know, I was on Twitter talking to a few people, and there was an interesting question that was raised by somebody where they were just like, um. Uh, what they say? Well, how? Okay, so they're talking about how the team looks really good. Yo, the the Dosa Cero score that we've come that we've come to know and love in these U.S. Mexico games. Got that? And just the way the team did it, it was you know they they were fighting hard all first half. Beerhalter makes the switch, brings in Pulisic. Uh, Pulisic pays dividends, scores a goal. Uh, even uh, no McKinney was always in the game. He didn't come out because McKinney scored the second goal, and he scored it. Basically, as I said, he was hanging around the box. The ball squirted loose, came down to his foot, made a play, got the goal. Um. So with this group, you're starting to see confidence building. And more evident than ever was the, um, the I guess, the gesture from Pulisic after his goal where he raised up his shirt, 
had his undershirt on with man in the mirror which was a shot at uh what was it ochoa the mexican goal keeper because he came out and said that something like the u.s when they look in the mirror they see they want to see mexico or something like that basically saying that the u.s envious of mexico's success that's me paraphrasing so the fact that Pulisic scored the goal showed that on his shirt you know showed like a real showed like a real sense of this US team letting Mexico know that they're going to be around for a while and you know this this calendar year beating them three times you know expect more competitive games now and the U.S. really feels comfortable now at this point that they, when going up against Mexico, can find a way to get it done. Uh, because I did tweet out during the game that uh, it was like around the 75th minute or something. The game was, you know, getting close to the end and it seemed like Mexico was starting to get real chippy. So I was saying that, you know, Mexico was looking like a team that realizes that their stranglehold on CONCACAF is kind of slipping and the U.S. has made it known that they're you know they're here to stay to challenge for the top you know top team in CONCACAF and those of you don't know say CONCACAF CONCACAF is the you basically say like the division that the U.S. is in internationally uh trying to think what it stands for but basically it's your North American teams so Canada, Mexico uh, US your Central American teams you know your um, Honduras, Costa Rica, Panama stuff like that and your Caribbean nations so Jamaica Puerto Rico, Haiti, Trinidad, those countries. That makes up CONCACAF. So, if you hear me say CONCACAF, that's what I'm referring to. So, for the most part, it was Mexico's group to win. And then after that, it was kind of an influx of other teams, whether it was uh, Jamaica for a little bit there, or uh, Panama, or Canada now, or Costa Rica. Somewhere after Mexico, all those teams would fill in along with the U.S. But now, like I said, just from this year, I mean, beating Mexico three times, it's crazy. I know I haven't seen it since I've been paying attention. But like I said, they gave the sad it happened a while ago. But it's not just the U.S. as well, because... As I said before, Canada is up and coming with Buchanan as well. And I think for the next few cycles, it's going to be probably those three teams fighting each time. And I think that's good for CONCACAF, number one. I think it's good for international soccer. Um that there's like real competition over here and I also think it's good for um, 
I guess the talks because there was some talk about uh, what is it like a joint league between MLS and uh, Liga MX, which is the Mexican uh, the Mexican Soccer League, and even some talk of a like a Nations League type with CONCACAF and the, the South American group which I'm trying to think what is this is it like Con, Conmebol something like that but but now you're starting to see that other nations are willing to get into these uh, partnerships with CONCACAF which is something that wouldn't have happened some time ago because nobody really took the you know, MLS seriously or <clears throat> CONCACAF seriously for that matter because around the world it was like a <clears throat> foregone conclusion that Mexico was going to win it so what was the point but as the competition levels raised here it makes it look better around the world and I think it allows the U.S. to get better uh, games for friendlies and all that kind of stuff, which then exposes this young talent to a higher quality of football, which then raises their game. So, <clears throat> so yeah, so that person on Twitter that was talking back and forth basically basically say that could it be that he's witnessing like a really good U.S. squad to which I said you know I think there's some there's definitely like a development going on here that makes you optimistic that the U.S. can be a major player internationally and we saw in the rankings how powerful is Cox Internet so powerful that one day your daughter will be able to simulate a soccer match against some of the world's best players right from your backyard. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Internet delivered through Cox's hybrid fiber coax network. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions apply. A couple months ago, they were top 10 in the world. They did, they, I mean, they then fell back a little bit to like 13 by fully expecting to move back up especially after this third win against Mexico because Mexico was the highest ranked CONCACAF team at number 9 so I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised we see when the next rankings come out in is the end of November I think maybe like yeah probably the end of November would not be surprised to see U.S. now being the highest ranked CONCACAF squad. Now, of course, they can't get too far ahead of themselves because, like I said, World Cup qualifying is only halfway done. And their next game is against, lose Jamaica. Now, Jamaica seems to be having the down cycle right now in World Cup qualifying because I, I fully expected Jamaica to be up in the top four and they could still get there because they're only five points behind Panama but 
they seem to be they seemed to start off slow this first half of qualifying so they're gonna have some work to do but they're definitely a squad that can you know make some noise in this uh, qualification group so it's definitely not a game that the u.s can go into lightly otherwise they will get upset by jamaica um So yeah, um, so I guess my final thought on U.S. would be there is reason for optimism. Uh, if you maybe you're a fan who I don't know got turned off or something, there is a reason to watch this team now. They are exciting to watch. They play with. Uh, you can tell it's a team that has more speed than U.S. squads of the past. Would say they're probably a little more athletic than squads of the past. And with that, they play a more exciting brand. Uh, you know, the game. And and I think it's it's fun to watch. I was watching that game against Mexico. It was, it was great to see Pulisic come onto the field and then right away pay dividends get the goal on the uh, I was not say glancing header but I mean it was swung into the box he made kind of a late run to the ball and because of that he was able to get in front of the Mexican defender and get his head onto it and score the goal and then even the most craziest thing to me was that there were actually questions about beer halter coming into this game it seemed like to me, even though he had already, you know, led the U.S. to wins over Mexico twice before. And I've always thought that, you know, you play well against Mexico. It's a reason for you to kind of silence the critics. But now beating them three times, I'm assuming that talk or the little whispers of beer halter maybe being in trouble I'm hoping her over but of course that's going to be predicated upon them finishing the job and qualifying and getting to the World Cup now you're probably wondering what's so significant about uh, you know, qualifying the top of the CONCACAF table is that by finishing first and winning the group means that you go into I think it's like pot one for the World Cup uh, group configuration. And then all that basically means is that those teams in pot one will make up the teams for all eight groups. So that would mean that the U.S. would be the highest ranked team in their group, which would then mean that they'll have a better chance of making it to the knockout stage and once again not saying with this group that you know they'd have to qualify for the world cup and make like a deep deep run for it to be a success but i do think coming out of the group stage at this point with this group especially if they win the Concacaf group is something to be expected so today over the next coming months 
gonna be interesting to see how this team does. Uh, see if maybe Beer Halter settles in onto a certain lineup that we can kind of see, uh, I guess, grow together. Because right now, Beer Halter still does a little bit of juggling with the lineups, and I think that's fine. Because, like I said, there's a lot of uh, you know young players that you want to give the opportunity to. But it's ultimately a good problem to have. So, uh, like I said, I was very excited for what I saw against Mexico. We'll be even more excited if they could then uh, you know, turn that into another strong performance against a Jamaican squad. And, you know, hopefully they'll be able to take, uh, take you know, take a hold over this group, win the group, and then get to World Cup seeding and all that. Well, get into the pot one of seeding. Um, yeah, I think, I think that was a good introduction to U.S. men's national team talk. Uh, definitely we'll be talking about them again because... Like I said, with Jamaica coming up soon. Let me see. Who are their next few matches against? I want to say it's like Jamaica. I feel like they got Panama coming up after. Uh, I think so. But either way, I'm fully expecting them to win the group, so... Whoever they have on the schedule is who they have. But I think at this point, where well, yeah, I mean, a second game against Mexico against this coming up at some point. But um, but yeah, like what I see, like what Beerhalter has done. I'm not one of those who thinks, you know, his job was on the line or anything like that. I think he's done a fine job. And like the influx of young talent like the youth movement that's going on because a lot of the members of the youth movement bring an aspect to the team that's you know is needed so I think the future is definitely bright for US soccer and as the popularity of soccer you know grows in the country I think it's just going to continue to raise the level of the homegrown talent so who knows? Maybe a World Cup title is in the cards for the U.S. in the near future. We'll, we'll, ju we'll just have to see how it all plays out. But um, like I said, that's uh, those are my thoughts on U.S. soccer. You definitely let me know if you agree with me or not. Um, you can do that several ways, you know. Like I said, follow me on Twitter at Chompin Podcast. If you do that, interact there. Let me know. Because uh, I did uh, did send out a tweet after the game showing the U.S. at the top of the table. So, I mean, if you were to follow and you saw that tweet, re replied to it, we can get a conversation going there. There's also the Facebook page that you can uh, interactions as well let me know what you think 
All you do is search, chomp at the bit, like the page, and then boom, you're in. Or depending on what platform you're listening, if you have a review section or something like that, or if you're on YouTube, comment, you can leave it there as well. So several ways to get a hold of me. I would really, you know, hope you try to take advantage of it. But, um, yeah, I think it's a good spot to end this episode. So, uh, thank you for tuning in. Hopefully, you enjoyed it. If you did, go back and check some other episodes, at least in the meantime, before I drop a new one. And, like I said, if you like, subscribe, all that, wherever you're listening, you will be notified when I do drop a new episode. So, um, Yeah. I mean, if you listened to the episode before, I kind of told you what the other uh, episodes I was going to do for this week. So you could probably guess which ones I was you know, most excited for, but can't. Uh, I think next episode will be. So I'm going to do is basically a two part thing about uh, narratives that need to stop. I'm going to start with. I think NBA narratives and then the second will be NFL narratives that need to stop and with that I mean you know like you turn on a sports debate show kind of these ways of you know thinking that you know, a lot of these analysts are putting out there that I feel like like I don't agree with I'm going to talk about some of that I'm trying to think of an example I could give you. So I guess NBA-wise, you know, a narrative that is out there is the whole LeBron Jordan debate. I will talk about that one. I can guarantee you I will give you my opinion on that. And then for like an NFL narrative, it would be maybe Manning versus Brady or something like that. So... But yeah, I'm going to have a lot of fun doing those and you'll, you'll see why. And we'll talk more about that on those episodes, but, um, but thanks again for tuning in. Uh, be safe out there. You know, God bless. Have a good one. And I'll catch you in the next episode. All right. I'm out. $88 billion is just a number, but not when we use it for our community benefits plan. It can be used to help deliver the promise of an education. We'll empower young entrepreneurs through the creation of the Howard University and PNC National Center for Entrepreneurship. And uplift small businesses with access to the capital they need in order to grow. It's not just about dollars, it's about change. PNC. PNC.